Goody, goody. Oh, whoa. Okay. Hold on. Adjusting Level levels. Check. Level check. Coming in hot. Coming in hot in 2019. Okay, that's mildly better. All right, there we go. That's what we always planned on doing. Mm-hmm. We said if we can make it to the new year, we have to up up the level of intensity. Come in hotter or don't come in at all is what I always say. Yep. And um I feel it. So we well this is it. This is uh oh I feel it is also what I always say. Um Yeah, just generally though. Mm-hmm. Hot feeling. It gets weird when you say it in just so many different contexts, but uh-huh. I sort of let it pass usually. I mean, uh, I uh, you're welcome to not feel it and be cold, but I I feel like there's not. I feel like that's not a uh, a desirable sort of counter. It's what well, look. It's it's 2019. We made it. The 2019, the year of 2019. Does that feel futury enough for you yet? No, because you know, 2020 is around the corner. I feel like I did when I turned, I don't know, 19. You know, one of the years where nothing happened. Ah, uh, yeah, okay, I'm with you. Also, I'm uh, oddly excited about being able to talk in uh, double digits again. The 20s, you know, the teens don't sound right. No. Um, so I'm super excited about that. I just started getting used to saying the aughts. I feel like the aughts finally hit its stride as like vernacular, like last year. Clearly after the aughts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Way after the actual aughts. We said the two thousands for a long time and that's just a mouthful. And frankly, in 2019, I don't have time for this anymore. I'm only I saying mean, 2019 <laughs> just to revel in it. I got other I'm, things to worry about. Just see how this feels. Okay. The twenties. The twenties. We, I mean, it has a futuristic and retro feel simultaneously. There's gonna, I'm super excited. Dirigibles are coming back in a big way. Yeah, uh, flapper sure. dresses. Flapper. I'm in for that. I like that hairstyle. I want it to come back. Bucket bucket uh, hairstyles. Yeah, yeah, I mean, with the flapper dresses, Get, it's sort of I a mean, package deal. Sure, I can already do the Charleston and confuse my children. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm really, I'm ahead of the game. I'm ready for um, the twenties. We might even get a bonus depression. So <laughs> yeah, I was considering <laughs> dipping into that and decided to not. That's um, as far as I went. No, you know what? It doesn't matter because I'm not getting paid either way. So no you, money to lose. Mm, Think about that. <laughs> do you, End of the game. Uh, do you? I was gonna not bring it up because I wasn't sure if you know our your handlers that listen to this would. You be know, I'm happy thinking. Am I allowed to publicly comment? And uh, I, I really don't know. But here's what anybody could learn, which is that some people who are un, in parts of the government that are yet to be funded mm-hmm. um, are not funded to work. So they say, go home, we can't pay you. However, some of those things, they say, actually, though we can't pay anybody, it's super important that this keeps working, mm-hmm. which immediately raises the question, well, why aren't you paying? If, if, but then they they say so uh come into work um don't they don't they say you must come into work um but we'll definitely pay you later oh, and it's okay. not one of those things where it's like hey well okay so what normally happens is after the shutdown congress will pass a bill that pays people who got furloughed meaning if you didn't work during that time you get paid back so it's like a free vacation which is awesome, except you also aren't sure that's going to happen. But for um, the rest of us, we have to come to work. We can't take leave because there's no way to take leave when you're supposed to be working, essentially, I guess. And then uh, they say they'll pay you later. They have to. But also, you have to come to work. If you... Choose not to come to work. It's not like, okay, well, you're on the furlough. They're like, we could fire you for not coming to work without being paid. And so that's where it's sort of a, I would, I'd call it an interesting approach. Um, some people might call it uh, super crazy, but, you know. I, that's a legal term, super crazy. I feel like. Uh, uh, can I drop this real quick? It's uh-huh. very legal, very cool. So don't worry about it. <laughs> Is it. Uh, 
God. So are your benefits active? Like, are mm. you, can you yes. go to the you, dentist? Well, <laughs> good question. Your health insurance is. Okay. Uh, but dental and eye care insurance doesn't continue after. Oh, I, I picked the most hurtful example. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, the government, working for the government's not the worst. Like, it's cushy in a lot of ways. But occasionally, it's just insane. It's a mix of of public facing politics and the largest company you've ever heard of, and so stuff like this happens. Nobody thinks it makes sense, but everybody has their own reasons for perpetuating it. It's very interesting because obviously this is the raw end of everything. You know, having the the fact that as with a large corporation, the little guy feels it the most when something goes sideways, but at the same time, at the same time, the reasons for it going sideways are because the, it is the government is like uh, subject to certain uh, balance of power that a regular company is totally not. Right. It's not like the latest project or a product launch uh, floundered, for reasons out of their control or something. Right. It's not, in this yeah. case, and I'm going to editorialize a little bit here. As um, long as your handlers say it's okay, you can say whatever you want. I'm not sure. Mm. Uh, no, your handlers are probably not getting paid. So they're, they're, yeah, yeah, they're on furlough, so <laughs> you can't stop me. <laughs> um, so uh, my editorialization here is that we were going to get paid through the holidays, and then one day one of the checked and balanced uh, branches of government woke up and watched a morning show. And that branch of government really felt like they didn't want to lose perceived face over a certain action. So they, they decided to, you know, put it to the American people. My, my, my favorite, uh, like a report from an unnamed staffer on this was that he, uh, this particular large orange branch of government didn't want to be perceived as foolish. (laughs) Yeah. Well, see, you got to understand perceived as foolish by the group of people he cares about or it cares about. Right. The hypothetical, (laughs) which in this case is maybe true, which is even more upsetting to someone in my position. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so it's okay. <laughs> well, I mean, if you, you know, the bill uh, provided that the, you know, we're, we are looking at, oh, this is day one of the uh, new house, right? Like they, they swore in yeah, yeah. all these, all these new folks today, provided that those folks, you know, they seem to be raring, they seem to be champing at the bit, uh, which is a thing. Did you know that champing? It's different than chomping. Uh, what's the difference between champing and chomping? Chomping is, you know, I'm, 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 but champing yeah, is yeah, like grinding you. your teeth on a, on something like it's an actual, it, the, it's not a typo whenever you see champing at the bit. So is both champing and chomping at the bit, both valid idioms? I mean, it's an idiom, so it's sort of a democracy, you know, a cultural democracy as to okay, what's well, valid. I'm, well, uh, okay. So the thing is though, and this is a word I learned the other day, which is great. Uh-huh. Um, uh, a malapropism. Mm-hmm. Stop that. It's a good word. Sorry, my cat. If I drop out or something, it's because my new cat is thinking this keyboard is just too good to leave alone. I see. Um, yeah. So malapropism or malaprope. Yeah, it's a, a, it's a different I'm form. Familiar of a yeah. Mal- yeah, it's like a. It's just great. So we've been looking. Me and some other guys have been really trying to. Uh, What's the word? Uh, document them at work. Okay. Because we find a lot at work. So, you know, I'm worried, you know, when I say chomping. Mm-hmm. I can still hear you. I can still hear you. And we're back. And we're back. Okay. I think my audio picked that up so I can just sync you back to, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. What were we talking about? Um, how I am such a public servant. Oh, malapropisms. I will 
work without pay, oh, and okay. I am chomping and chomping and chomping and champing at the bit mm-hmm. to get to work. Because you can imagine the morale of the workforce that's essential and is working you these days. See, probably touch low. Probably touch low. <laughs> also, I, I'm, you know, it's rubbed in my face every now and then. Like, for instance, the Coast Guard is part of DHS. Okay. Um, which is under this funding condition as well. And uh, they are part of our military, which somehow makes them more important as people than me, mm. um, i.e. they might be more likely to be Trump voters and Trump voters like people associated with defense and military. Yeah. So he went out of – or the executive branch went out of their way to make sure that they had extra pay – to try to get them through the furlough longer. The the literal only difference is that, uh, you know, he perceives them as needing more, being a bigger supporter. So, right. you know, it's a, it's sort of like America first, but it's like, if you define America as people who will support the executive branch's power first, which, well, you know, makes it more true. This is the, uh, the, eternal uh struggle i personally have with almost every form of like existential national power of every country is trying to trying to understand or actually like personally pivoting between existential fear at someone being like having like a long term not like a destructive game plan and existential fear that said person actually has absolutely no plan and is utterly like incompetent. For example, you have, you know, your, your, our buddies over in North Korea, right? Like they're either like crazy enough and incompetent enough to launch a missile at somebody suicidally, or they are, they are like, uh, determined, savvy enough, savvy enough, right. To like play, uh, our, you know, our, our extremely playable, uh, pre- executive branch uh, against themselves and uh, leverage even more power or whatever uh, and destroy us that way. But the same thing applies to this this entire shutdown thing is I'm not sure if it, and I have no way of knowing, and ultimately I have other things that I could be spending my literal breaths, my limited amount of breaths on this planet dealing with. Either this is... Uh, straight up in a like knee jerk ego trip thing from like uh, getting uh, one's very remarkably sensitive feelings hurt based on what a morning show said that somebody else said about that person. Or Mm -hmm. this is part of a long game of like diverting power to not only the executive branch, but the uh, sort of like domestic military functions of the country. And it's not being uh, well, I I yeah, think the, the, that there's a, it's in the this Stephen case, Miller thing, right? Is is there is there a Miller like is or is there are there actual like actively destructive people behind the scenes pulling strings, or are we just like following along this this like bizarre tale of a man in his golden toilet? Uh, I think it's very much the latter. Uh, I also think the more I watch, um, just back and forth watch uh different you know i you know talking heads whatever but just people expressing their opinions and they get people from both sides uh watching all kinds of stuff trying to look at the extreme views on both sides um it becomes increasingly clear that well-intentioned or not most people are just sticking to a very isolated sort of personal level of commitment to what they're doing yeah uh, what be it an idea or associating it with a group or whatever right it's very individualistic and so in one sense that's good because it's not i would have a very hard time believing that there's ever a truly large conspiracy at least at this point in our um existence because it's there's so many ways that america's uh, uh government system is hard to manipulate in that way though it can be done sure uh, compared to like turkey or russia or something yeah. um but 
also, it's really bad because it's ultimately never going to be like a a, a group effort. <laughs> it's always like a like a little personal battle that people are fighting. Well, I mean, the struggle is good. That's the whole point of of this type of government, for sure. And I'm I'm not I'm not like uh, painting a picture of a conspiracy so much as a, of a, a extant plan, <laughs> like. The fact that there either either is no plan and this is just like a, a, the White House is just full of people who have a very small. There's a bunch of people constantly reacting and pivoting right to the main executive branches figures moves. But that you- is 100 percent true and perhaps more uniquely true than it has ever been, which is pretty uh it's engaging in a dark way sure. to observe. Yeah, but I mean, I'm I'm thinking you you say things like the, uh, you know, there there was enough there was enough awareness happening somewhere in in all the forms being signed or whatever during the shutdown for them to divert funds to a you know a semi military branch of uh, the of you, you what you're doing and like I think mm-hmm. today of the. Uh, sort of slapped together press conference that I did not watch, but did see a photo of, of, uh, Oh, I watched it. Yeah. And like, he's surrounded by a bunch of, uh, bald white men, uh, from various other branches of pseudo military government. And it made me deeply uncomfortable because it was like, Oh hey, wait, you, know, here's you mean a, the press briefing or the, 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 the table thing, the press briefing, not the, not the oh. game of Thrones poster thing. Not oh the, my gosh. Okay. The, so uh, just, I, I'm going to disprove your story a little bit, thankfully, okay. which is that he was actually surrounded by what were, I believe they were associated with some of the uh, union leaders that for border workers or something, but they were border workers, most of whom were, like, I thought they clearly were clearly uh, Hispanic, but here's the point. No, I, I'm okay. They're, rep- going, they're responding. Well, uh, maybe that they were those guys in the background, but mm. it was it was just a clear. It was just a publicity thing. I mean, it was very straightforward. They had the border people say that walls are good, and <laughs> he said, you know, I um. I've gotten more support on this thing than anything else ever, whatever. And uh, right, right, yeah, whatever. So it just it's, but it's more of the same. Which I, I, I don't know why I'd keep doing this. I do know why I keep listening to things for myself and actually listening to people talk, so that right. I, I have like the source material, so I don't get off on a limb feeling a certain way just because yeah. I want to. But really? like, I so I end up watching these things, and I like he repeatedly in front of everyone unashamedly suggests he knows more than everyone on everything. So yeah. about it's, Syria, it's you know, like he was talking about, or he was talking about the Taliban fighting the ISIS in Syria or something, and um, he was he was imitating his conversation with his military leaders. These oh, are yeah. the Highest level people in the entire military. And I'm going to grant him that military leaders almost always suggest we should stay in conflicts and right. often in good faith. They're, mm-hmm. They know how to solve problems that way. So, you know, they're going to more often suggest that. Sure. But he's there and his exa- – I'm not even – this is not uh, over-exaggeration. He was like, I say, why don't you just let the Taliban and ISIS fight it out? And they're like, and he goes, sir, we have to do it this way and that way. And I'm like, look, he really did that. And he goes, look, I mean, how is this not wrong? And then he transitions and he goes, look, I am I think I would have been a good general. Who knows? Basically, he says, oh, yeah, I saw these that quote. people just, but it's so natural. And like, how are people not embarrassed to be associated with that? I mean, even people who support the a large part of his actions and no. policies, um, how are they not constantly apologizing for what others have to go through to engage with these policies? I mean, I, mean, I sort of have an answer for you. Uh, well, I at least have an answer for uh, – you know, I don't have any answers for you. Never mind. I have f- <laughs> feedback, <laughs> uh, which is like – 
the the reason that these questions are so hard is because in any literally any other context of any other job on the entire planet, whether it's like you work at Wendy's with someone who talks like this, or you like work at a marketing company with someone who talks like this, or you work uh, almost anywhere else in the White House with someone who talks like this, you're like you don't get you don't even get lunch with that person, right? Like the only time yeah. <laughs> the only time you're like subject to someone so transparently full of shit all the time is if they are your boss in like a toxic work environment. Oh, like no one, no, there's, and the, the thing is it was like that. It's been like that for so long that like reacting to it or like, uh, you know, posting a new rundown of all the, his lies or, you know, coming up with a new, did you see the thing where I forget, I think it's the Washington post came up with like a new, level on the Pinocchio meter, some other like embarrassing uh like way that they're using the track mistruths. Like there we already pegged the needle on that like two years ago. And so it's exhausting because there's nowhere else to go. Like there's not a more there's not a place to have more reaction that doesn't involve like flipping out in a way that's like really <laughs> sort of unbecoming. It, I do think it wears on people yeah. though. I mean, oh, so and I, yeah, so that's like, what, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, go ahead. No, okay. I wanted to pivot to what must be happening to people who have to do that in terms of like continuing to stay on whatever side of, of said issue. Um, I think like, I believe I've said on this podcast before that, um, that adulthood is mostly about doubling down. Um, like the older you get, the more cumulative experiences that you have had and the more, uh, you've sort of headed in usually one direction, like major changes in someone's life usually revol- revolve around, um, some, some trauma, right? Like it doesn't have to be like, Oh, somebody I I love was died. It could just be trauma of, losing a job it could be trauma of um you know even trauma of like sudden existential crisis or like uh i don't know disillusionment with a a country or religion or whatever like something happens that causes someone to reevaluate stuff um and but when your job is so closely tied to your ideology um like it's one thing to reevaluate your life because oh you know i i uh I work at, uh, you know, I work in acquisitions at a piping company and like I had a midlife <laughs> crisis and now I'm, now I'm driving a Miata. Like I sold my VW, got divorced and I'm driving a Miata. Like you had all of these shifts in your life, but you still work on acquisitions at a piping company because your job really has nothing to do with like your, uh, your personal reevaluation of, of of like your values. Yeah, what are know? the chances that so many politicians remain on their sides of their ideas forever? Well, what I'm saying is that you're if you're a politician, your job in a lot of ways is your value system, like, and it's directly tied to that. So you can't have any sort of like. So like it's not that you it's not that people are out there wishing well who knows maybe they wishing that they could reevaluate things and they can't or they are you know they've been a politician or in that world for so long that it doesn't come naturally to do so or that it's not but it, in well the, it would be practically right next to impossible to recreate all the connections you had to build up to get where you are exactly you if you're in if you're in politics you're, you know, it's, it's a world of, uh, you know, dealing with public perception and, and connections and being faithful to the people ostensibly that voted you in and all of these other things that are all directly related to your particular values. So like, if you decide to have some sort of a change of heart, that's not, uh, like that does not comport practically with your entire role. Like an adult is this, like ball that's been rolling downhill picking up stuff like you can't just like mm-hmm. drop all that stuff but or you usually here's a, don't here's an example of how we unknowing or unintentionally make that harder for people is that we often lump changes in opinion automatically with either insincerity mm. or just confusion or distrust and i think rightfully so you you can't just like 
be like, oh, he changed his mind. Great. That's fine. But we, you know, need to make more of an avenue. I, I guess in a good example of that I saw the other day was uh, Mitt Romney was, you know, dropping some heat on the president. And, you know, he has a lot of reasons to. He wants, you know, he probably wants to be the next nominee. Um, he, you know, lost his race, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but there is a – so the answer is not people responding to that, in my opinion, being like, oh, here's a video of you accepting the endorsement and blah, 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 right. blah, and get out of here, old man. Right. You know, I get it. You don't have to love the guy. You don't have to support him. But if you're not supporting people changing their minds and standing up even in ways that self-serve themselves in some way – you're you're complaining about a problem and also getting in the way of any moderate solution. And I get it. People like to be a purist. You know, it's like half measures seem hypocritical. But that's just not how things really work. And so it becomes sort of a problem to change in your life. And we're talking about politics, but this is like anything, really. You know, yeah. we, we just made it hard for people to change who they are because we just sort of attach things to it. Yeah. I mean, I, I, uh, I think that like your picture, I'm picturing like people, not only in politics, I guess, but like in any, uh, if you're a high level in any job, you've got to feel that, um, the precariousness of that, no matter what, especially in public service where like, your your job could cease to exist uh for you know a nomination or a um a reorganization or a bill got signed and now you're you know there's all sorts like it's actually got to be pretty volatile i imagine um especially the higher you get and so like rocking that boat is not in your personal best interest though is going back to you i was trying to eventually loop myself back to what you were talking about in terms of like people doing kind of like looking out for themselves Mm -hmm. in a lot of those cases which i i sort of get but at this at the same time like this goes back to what i was saying about my fear of the difference between a chaotic sort of unplan and someone not not having a conspiracy but someone having a plan that takes advantage of a mm -hmm. disproportionate amount of power given to people with a disproportionate amount of investment in the consequences of that uh power um, which is something that does concern me a lot. Yeah, I think that exists as well. So anyway, anyway starting it's the an new interesting situation. <laughs> so that's all that to say. It's a very interesting situation uh, to be in as you are. It feels weird to have sort of a real direct effect of something that you follow a lot abstractly. Right. And even though I'm not, you know, on the street, as it were, because of this. I mean, it's happening. Like, I, I'm experiencing it. Everyone I work with is. Um, yeah. So it's interesting and uh, very disheartening, generally speaking. Yeah. I mean, I my, my one silver lining to this is, like, the government is shut down because – of a reason that I support, I guess. Right. Like it's, it would be very, oh, it would yeah. be insanely well, demoralizing. Both sides can say that. Though, I guess so. I guess so. No, that's not a, that's not a, but that's like a, yes. I, I think no matter where you stand, you at least feel like people are trying to do something, you know, right. obviously depends on what you come at, but I get, I get well, it. here's the difference though, is that, both sides out the, – the other branches of government or the other branch of government in this situation wants to pay me while they argue, and one of them wants to not pay me while they argue. So <laughs> I feel like we can all agree on that situation. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean that's and, – yeah. And yeah. here's another thing, and this is going to be super unpopular if we have any listeners, but whatever. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm buying like – Tupperware to store Legos in at uh, Lowe's tonight. Okay. And um, <clears throat> I go up to the counter, and uh, I live in a military town, so this happens a lot. But tonight, she's like, 
Oh, so um, do you have uh, the whatever Lowe's card or a military discount? And I was like, no, I don't have a military discount, but does it count that I'm protecting our nation's network infrastructure for free while other people get paid to do similar jobs, including the military, most of whom aren't in any kind of harm's way and signed up voluntarily? I didn't say that whole sentence. I was going to say, was in uh, my did, head. She, how did, did she stick around after that? <laughs> <laughs> I said, does it count that I'm protecting our nation's network infrastructure from bad actors while I don't get paid at all? And she goes, uh, uh, no, not yet. <laughs> I was like, what does not yet mean? Woman? You, I didn't say uh, woman either. That's very sexist. But um, well, anyway... That's why they wear the back braces. They have to be <laughs> be ready for people yelling at them about network infrastructure in the middle of the day. Just trying to. Be- I, mean, I, <laughs> I don't. Re- I don't have any real ill feelings towards support of our military, but it does feel a bit ironic to me that I do a very similar job, and people don't even give me the time of day. While I'm not being paid to do that job, it's just odd. You could have said, but I work for Homeland Security. I think that might have done, that might have, I mean, I'm, I'm hindsight. Usually that. that just frightens people. Well, I mean, yelling at a poor lady name. about network infrastructure is also frightening in a different I way. I think I used the word cyber, which oh, is no. the worst word, but people understand it in a layman's sense. So I need an actual cut to the um, low security camera to splice in here where you just uh, <laughs> God, like, I hate the word a, cyber so much. Do you, have, do you have, sir, do you have a military discount and you just yelled, <laughs> I do cyber for the country and nobody pays me. <laughs> That's exactly what happened. She was like, no. <laughs> uh, like she thinks that I get scanned into a computer, <laughs> like fly around on a virtual jet shooting pixelated said you lasers. For the space Force. <sighs> yeah. Uh, Look, if I could really go to space, I'd join that Space Force. I uh yeah. I'm I'm reading a uh I'm not really reading it because I kind of stopped, but I'm reading a trilogy about uh uh, a book called uh, Mar- it's like Marsbound, Earthbound, and there's a third book that I'm not to yet. But it's yeah, it's it's like our first space colony on or first colony on Mars kind of thing. It uh, really yeah, cool. had me for a while because it was like this. It's from the 80s or 90s, and they start out with like an incredibly detailed, very. It's by Joe Haldeman, the guy who did the Forever War. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's this incredibly detailed. Sort of like almost like reminded, reminds me of the old, old Bradbury short stories about this family that got picked to go and be the, some of the first people, or the first family to go to the Mars outpost. And they, they take the space elevator up and like the space elevator, you know, space elevators, right? Space elevators mm-hmm. are sweet. Oh, yeah. I'm all uh, re- readers, Google space elevators. It's like you put a tether in orbit and then the other end of the tether is like in the ocean at a platform that has to float around. Yeah, or, like... Imagine you're swinging, uh, you, you've got like a ball on a string and you start spinning until the ball on the string is parallel or perpendicular to you and just flying around. That's a space elevator. That's so much better than my description. So yeah, they <laughs> they, uh, they go out to the platform and they, they ride up this uh, space elevator and they're on it for like two weeks or whatever to get up high enough and then, they, excuse me, transfer to a like a um, space station. And then to the ship that they're on for like two years. And this book's so detailed. And then eventually they get to Mars and I'm thinking it's going to be like a, the Martian situation or whatever. And actually they meet like huge insectoid Martians who are like partially telepathic and stuff. And that's where the book's kind of losing me. Uh, tonally, I would say tonally it kind of went sideways super fast. Um, and then there's like an ancient race of aliens that I'm spoiling a weird amount of this book, but there's like an ancient race of aliens that moves at like one, one thousandth the speed of our life. And they have a nuke on Pluto or something. <laughs> It's gotten it's gotten weird. Um, one of the <laughs> that, one of the aliens that was a escalated bomb. Quickly, yeah, uh, it did. Well, it escalated slowly. Um, that was a space elevator joke, as um, it were. It, what, where was I talking about? I don't remember. Uh, a bomb, alien bomb, alien bomb. Um, 
Let's see. By the way, I'm going to plug real quick uh-huh. the movie Dark Star, if none of you have seen it. <laughs> okay? Yeah. I'm going to plug that movie like real movie. quick. I think it's on, I want to say it's just the whole thing's on YouTube. Um, it may be. I just wrote down Cyber in all caps. Let's see your, uh, this is season two, episode one of Cameron and oh, Proctor, yeah. two people. I decided that the year is going to be our season. So it's, it's season two, episode one. We started afresh. You don't need to know any of the plot lines from season one. It's like true detective. We're just sort of like maintaining a sort of thematic consistency, but it's going to be a whole new mm-hmm. cast of characters. Um, is a, this is about this, uh, season is going to be about, um, corruption and, um, family, um, conflict. Yeah, it's, uh, uh, there's going to be no uh, strict no callbacks to season one, uh, except for like really good winking ones for for the super fans. Um, we'll have a, um, let's see what I don't know. That's uh, how is well. I want to know how's the new year for a fully employed individual. Um, well, I uh, I I'm only what three work days into it. I did go into work on December thirty first, uh, which. Having New Year on a Tuesday and Christmas on a Tuesday, not a fan. I'm going to say I like a. Um, it 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 meant that I went into work on twelve thirty one, arrived around my normal time, and all the lights were off, and I thought that I had made a mistake and the office was closed. But in why fact, didn't you just take the day off, man? I, well, I I have taken off kind of all my days this oh, year. Okay, I was gotcha. I was good, I was good for it. I we have sort of a like a wishy washy max on our. On our yeah, vacation yeah, days. I got you. But I was out of town for, uh, there have been a lot of things this year. So I, I was like, eh, I'll go in. Um, anyway, I got there and all the lights were off and I thought I was wrong. It turns out there were just very few people coming to work and all of them were late. Um, so I've had sort of a slow. <laughs> I was at work up. on Monday. Yeah. I had to be. Oh, right. Were you paid? Uh, not yet. <laughs> mm. <laughs> you know, eventually you're going to get some fat stack though. When they oh, sign yeah. that thing, your back pay gonna, is going to, you're going to be, I'm just going to like make blow it, it all and then realize like it was just a mistimed amount of money I was supposed to have. Yeah. But be it's pre- going to be great for about a day. Yeah. You're going to need to prepare now to like <laughs> temper your reaction when you get a, a briefcase full of cash in the mail directly from Nancy Pelosi. Um, I'm just going to stroll down the Palafox downtown and, like a movie where beaver sort of top hat and the monocle. To, yeah, I'm dancing to music that's not there and like tossing people stacks of money and buying people stuff and little boys in the car. Little boys looking at brand new shoes in the window and you just reach into the window and Arr! here you go, son. <laughs> here you go, Merry son. Christmas. Welcome to the twenties. Welcome to the twenties. <laughs> uh, you got to get yourself a zoot suit. Oh, I got to get all of it. Sorry, I interrupted you it's once okay. again. Go ahead. I have a theory. I don't know because I wasn't there, but I feel like the zoot suit has got to be kind of like the, uh, the was it, what is he wearing, Freaks and Geeks, the like European nightclub, like zip up onesie. Like it was, yeah. a, it was a round, but it wasn't like people were wearing them to the store. You know, like there's certain, certain. Oh yeah, I think of, you're right. Yeah, certain pieces of clothing that like they existed and like somebody wore them, but everyone else was like, "Oh, there goes, there goes Ralphie, freaking zoot suit." <laughs> no one asked him. Ralphie's to wear a, zoot a suit. <laughs> Ralphie's a dick anyway. <laughs> yeah, Nobody this, likes this him. Guy's full of shit. This is a business <laughs> casual function. There he is in his like, zoot what suit. What are you even doing? Ugh. Too trendy. Too trendy. Um, yeah. Uh. Let's see. I have two things written down that we could we could pivot to without uh, any sort of like clever segue. I can totally pivot. All right. Um, so uh, I I spent. So this is a. So we're gonna go back. Where this is 2018, right? Uh, where it's almost 2020, which means that the events of uh, Woodstock 1999 <laughs> were almost 20 years ago at this point. Good. Yeah, yeah. So uh, there was a Twitter a Twitter thread that led me down sort of a crazy rabbit hole where I ended up um, dealing with a bunch of uh, Woodstock 1999 performances. Uh, and why I say dealing with them is it it wasn't I wasn't I was dealing with uh, coming to terms with the fact that when it was say like 2007. Do you remember feeling like it was kind of still the 90s? Remember having conversations where people were like, oh, the 90s, the 80s had this 
like a specific aesthetic and the seventies, you know, had their aesthetic in the sixties, but the two thousands kind of feels like, I don't know, whatever. Do you remember this? Did you feel I do that remember way? this? I, I've struggled to be realize I've been part of decades instead of referring to them. It's a very odd transition to have to make. Right. And what I feel like we've reached, uh, we probably had already reached it and no one had told me, but there was an inflection point. Uh, and it, it, it is, um, so it is surreal, uh, how, how much of an inflection point it is at this point. Like in, in 2018, looking back to the, uh, the bands and the aesthetic and the music of 1999 heretofore, uh, put forth by me as the darkest year in music. 1999. Yeah. Wait, did Creed release an album in 1999? I'm going to give you some names of the performers in uh, Woodstock 1999, which I urge you to uh, attempt. Or actually, I'll send you the Twitter thread. Um, oh, you sent me a. Wait, are you sending me a message? I, I sent you a text. Just oh, it's a kitty cat for your own benefit. Oh, it's a kitty cat. Sweet cat. It is. Oh, here's the other one. I didn't see the other one. Wow, that kitty cat's smaller than your microphone. Totally. All right, so um, that kitty cat is a good uh, sort of uh, antidote to what I'm talking about. Creed was there. Um, there you go. Sort of peak Creed, like uh, late era, um, flowy, flowy shirts. Big, yeah, big, very flowy, big shirts. khaki pants. Um, uh, let's see, you had uh, um, Insane Clown Posse was there. Mm-hmm. ICP. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had what, uh, what are magnets? The, the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Um, okay. Kid Rock, uh, mm. The Offspring, mm-hmm. um, Lit, uh, such luminaries as Buck Cherry, um, Live. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this is, I mean, it's it's sort of helpful because it it saved us the trouble of trouble of later trying to gather together on a Wikipedia article the nineties most stereotyped bands, like sort of the <clears throat> the the peaks, as it were, of the Fourier transform of the nineties. Yeah. Well, I think what MTV was both ahead of us at the time and behind us in terms of what they were doing to music as as a whole. Uh, because like I feel like it was very probably well engineered for 1999. Hell, I don't know. I was 14 or 15. I didn't like any of it at the time. But now looking back on it, it feels so like uh, they picked the most stereo. You're exactly right. They picked like the most stereotype looking band of every genre and subgenre. Like all, mm-hmm. I don't remember thinking of alternative as a genre. Like it, it just seemed like a you know the rock bands. I don't know. But like <laughs> now you look at it and you're like, oh, there is a code to this stuff. Like if you have spiky bleach blonde hair, <laughs> then you are you are a pop punk band. If you have bleach blonde hair, but it's like oily and nasty and like weird bangs, then you're an alternative band. And you have longer hair than that, then it's like a you're like a grunge band. So like there's 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 hair codes that I don't remember at the time or I don't remember. Well, like I mean, you were parsing. You, we've already established that you were very you were one of those people that was part of things so much that they couldn't see the thing. I was couldn't see the spiky not hair any better off. No, I couldn't. <laughs> I was not any better off. I just wasn't part of. I just wasn't in it. But I wasn't even aware that there was an it. So, like, there's like, neither of us were able to gather that perspective. <laughs> no, I, we were we were just taking it as it came, really. And now, right. looking back at this, it's like, oh, Bush played for forty five minutes. I don't want to watch <laughs> Bush for forty five. Frankly, if you, going back and looking at the videos, now, I'd listen to Bush. I mean, sure. I go there now to watch them i'm just saying yeah I, i'd be i'm fine with a couple of bush songs but like they they the other thing that i feel like is worth pointing out as we um as i sort of like attempt to give you a, a small piece of all the things that went through my head watching these videos um <laughs> is that the this code that i'm talking about established exclusively and only to lead singers <laughs> 
if you look at Creed, their lead singer. So, so like, I I know what Creed's lead singer looks. like. You know like. what Creed's lead singer looks like. You don't all, remember what the rest of them look like. No, not at all. But we're. I mean, is this sort of like more of the stereotypical uh, instrument categories that have been the same forever? Like the bassist is a awkward long haired dude, and the drummer's got a buzz cut or whatever. Like, is there is there an instrumental parallel throughout history and then the lead singer is the the sort of figurehead of the style and time no what in fact is happening uh is it looks like this was if you had a video game where you had like a you know a, a you you took the time to craft scott stapp as a main character you're like i'm gonna give him a flowy <laughs> that, shirt which Let's be honest, only would happen on like a Justin McElroy podcast episode. Yeah, they're going to go make Scott Staffen uh, like a <laughs> freaking, uh, oh God. What, what is, is it called? Soul Caliber or something. Yeah. Um, no, he's, he's got, you know, he's he's very Scott Staffy. Like he's got, they, there are parts to that. And really the the Bush guy is is like Diet Scott Staff. And like there's, uh, you know, you've and when I'm talking about the slimy, Alternative guys who, by the way, Gavin. all look like the slimiest. All the alternative bands look like the most likely. Gavin Rossdale? Ro- Gavin Rossdale. Yeah, there's, that's a good, good 90s Thank name. Thank you. Thank mm. you. <laughs> like, he made it up in the night, like 100%. <laughs> Gavin Rossdale. Um, so the rest of almost every band member of every other band looks like they took a, they they hit randomize on like, the Gadzooks character creator. Or, like, well, okay, we had a character creator like this. It was uh, Rock Band. Rock Band yeah. had a character creator. I could definitely see that, just a randomized. Yeah, it's creation. like, here's a guy with track pants and a, like a white t-shirt with like a, like a Reebok logo. Okay, and in so the same I'm following band, you. There's no way to predict the other members. No. Only ever the lead singer. It's distressingly random to the point that it looks like uh, each lead singer is just playing in front of like some guys that they pulled out of a van full of nineties people. <laughs> it's like, this guy's got red velour uh. pants and like a shirt with dragons on it. And, <laughs> and this other guy's got a tank top and jeans. Uh. Like it's bananas. I'm laughing more than people who did not live through this are assuming those people are listening it's it's so true it's very weird because i i feel like the um the band aesthetic is very holistic now like i couldn't really tell you what imagine dragons looks like i assume there are but somewhere between three and six members in them but i I probably (laughs) they probably all look like they at least shop at the same store i assume i'm making a lot of so do you think that this is unique to the 90s or or this transitional period where the event happened hold on i'm looking at a picture of imagine dragons and they all look very serious they all have medium hair they all have the same expression on their face that kind of looks like they're um it looks like they all got told that their driver's license uh was going to be delivered two (laughs) days late um they look very serious they're all wearing Expensive looking pants. They got a lot to say. And well, a sort of a gray toned one. One of them's wearing a Letterman jacket and one of them has ear stretchers. Anyway, point being, there's a consistent aesthetic. I do think I'm wondering if this was a 90s problem, because if you look at like the 80s, I feel like like uh, your your new wave bands and stuff were wacky, but they were all sort of like consistently wacky. The, and I, I think the other thing that's happened with the 90s is that somewhere along the line, 90s rock guy clothes just became like dude clothes just like the so, <laughs> so many of the members of they, the band they didn't evolve quick enough by the 99 woodstock they <laughs> looked like they pulled a guy out of the audience yeah, and threw him on no stage. one looks like a member of a rock band they all just look like guys that you'd like be stuck in line behind at a dairy queen or something <laughs> it's very no, weird that's oddly um that's an oddly good analogy. I, I can see it, and it makes sense. It fits it perfectly. Well, thank you. Um, I like, live by a Dairy Queen. All right, I'm going to send you um, here. This is the only picture all I right. can find. Uh, let's uh, see. I'll be back in 
Uh-oh. 30 seconds. Okay. Give a, I'll, I'll give do, a good I'll do the, plug for the podcast. Yeah, I'll do the bumper. Uh, this is Cameron and Brock are Two People, the podcast in which Cameron and Brock are Two People, season two, episode one. Uh, we uh, You can contact us with your uh, opinions about 90s clothes and or the government shutdown and or... Um, uh, let's see the the return of the twenties. Uh, you could talk to us about whether you bleached your hair ever. Um, I did, um, and it wasn't even the nineties anymore. Uh, and you can contact us at Cameron and Brock at gmail dot com or at the phone number twenty five twenty five Hey Cam. That's two five two five H E Y C A M, and leave us a voicemail, and then we'll uh, we'll play it on the show uh, for for you and hear yourself. Uh, I don't have a plan for this year. I feel like the conceit of this podcast is for us to just not do plans. Uh, that's not what we're here for. Um, we'll, uh, we'll talk about what we want to talk about and, uh, get in touch with one another, uh, from across the country. Hey, all right, you're back. All right. Did you say anything good? Well, let me rephrase that. Did you say anything remotely accurate? Or say something like similar log. No, I actually, um, I actually said the correct thing. Okay, so we're good, gonna we're gonna have to get the title of the podcast from something else. Yeah. All right, bummer. <laughs> I sent you one picture um, that I could find, um, and this is of the band uh, Lit. If you remember Lit, I remember Lit, but I, I'm. Not- <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. I mean, it wasn't like one of my main bands that I was familiar sure, with. Sure, they did that one song thing right there. There they are, lit. One member has some bad '90s tattoos. He's got a tank top and some black pants, and what looks like he might have some bowling shoes on. I'm loving the guy on the left, or. What was that stage right? I don't know. Uh, the guy on the my red left. pants. Oh, the red pants. Okay, I mean, that'd I be stage right. I know the guy left. on the on the other side has a suit, which sh- his shirt is unbuttoned to the same degree as a normal suit would be, which is a really great look. Yeah, it's like three or four buttons unbuttoned on like a. <laughs> but it's not. It's it's that. It's what I'm talking about. It's this weird. Yeah. It's not fully rock star because it's like a light blue, like a Brooks Brothers shirt. And like a regular looking suit jacket, but it appears to have red cuffs. And then he himself has bleach blonde, spiky hair and a brown chin strap okay. beard. I'm gonna go on. I'm gonna go out on a limb here, uh-huh. real quick, and, and and analyze this. So what we've seen in the past decades before the '90s, a little more homogeny in the the style situation. I think as we progressed through the 90s, it was sort of a social awakening of diversity, if you will, like in society. (laughs) Yeah, all these white guys wearing all these different types of outfits from Gadzooks. Okay, yeah, the white guys still were sort of in the lead, but the undercurrent (laughs) was that it was okay to not be a white guy and not be wearing the same thing necessarily. Um, And so what happened was... in the, with the best intentions, mm-hmm. we were all thrown into the deep end of options. Where previously you okay, had sort I, of I see a couple paths. Now society was evolving in a positive way, but none of us were prepared to deal with the options. So we're like, "Well, what the hell? I'll just pick the red pants and the suit." And like, <laughs> you're like, at some point, you can't figure it out. You just got like, there's you were the pioneer. Unfortunately, didn't turn out well for most of them. But, <laughs> you know, you were pioneering the infinite choices that you had to work with. And so over the next couple decades, we're sort of working out new lanes to, to, <laughs> to deal with. <laughs> Hold on. Uh, that shirt, I can see it already. All right. I'm sitting, this is the two other members oh, of Creed. God. I'm going to describe you. Uh, the listener needs to know that the bass player from Creed is wearing what appears to be a oh, it's a it's a long sleeve a long sleeved white undershirt uh, with the sleeves rolled up a little bit over or under a like a short sleeved black button down shirt 
like sort of a bowling shirt look with a prison number with a prison number on it and then the guitarist is wearing a shirt that looks like uh it he stole it from like liza minnelli uh it's got like this sunburst floral thing and it's it it's got like a um a short collar it's a button-down shirt and it's it's a it's really just a, a nightmare um and that's the band. That's what they wore. Um, I think there's also a dude with a wife beater and then like whatever the drummer was wearing. So it just feels random. Now, I think I, I appreciate your like very um, almost recklessly optimistic take on this, <laughs> which is that the floodgates opened uh, uh, of style, uh, the floodgates of style opened and we were liberated from our polyester uh, and, and plastic based clothes world into this exciting new world of prints and dragon shirts and, and, uh, and uh, various other things that should have been cotton and weren't. Um, and there is something exciting about that, uh, I suppose. Um, but what I'm wondering now, so at the time we didn't see it happening because we were in it and now all of it looks like, random dudes from the from Kmart now uh but mm-hmm. i'm wondering if that's just because it's like equidistant from us and if Kmart's I, pretty 90s too but it is i i think about this i want to say a lot i don't want to overstep i think about this more than maybe one would expect which is that what are we doomed not doomed are we set to repeat exactly how previous generations slash decades have gone through this? Or is there really sort of a shift between decades, um, but there is a similarity in how people have to go through them? And I like the Mm. latter idea, which is that there is a real difference, but there are sort of similarities in what we have to deal with as we progress through it. So Uh it makes you feel less like completely nothing new under the sun but yeah you also have this feeling of like you know okay so you're not stupid everybody had to do this right i i'm with you i i um my my dad is real big well both my parents they they complained incessantly in the early 2000s when like flared jeans came back because they're like oh the 70s are back and boy both of them really hate the 70s for a variety of reasons and uh they're you know they're big on the there is nothing new under the sun thing and and i um i disagree pretty entirely like certain style choices come back like the jeans were low and now they're high and that happened before and things like that but like i i look at it and i think like in the you know there was a reason that like the rolling stones looked like they were wearing old like women's clothing and it's cuz they were wearing women's clothing because you couldn't like go to a hot topic and get weird clothes like if you wanted weird clothes you had to go root through right. a, a, like a lady's closet because it was the 60s which was two decades removed from the 40s and by and in the 40s you either got your clothes from like a tailor or you, you, if they were kids' clothes, right. you so may have sewed them yourself. While people are the same, yeah. um, what they have access to is not just different versions of something, but it's dramatically different between generations, at least in you know our day and age. Yeah, like that's that's kind of what I'm saying is that the purchasing economy, like the availability of clothes, changed a lot between like the 50s and the 70s. And then it like in the eighties we had literally new fabrics to play with, right? Like there's there's cost mm-hmm. stuff that happened. And then I guess in the nineties it felt fresh to do that because the eighties were so Well, let uh, me drop some The nineties were like loose, man. And like the late nineties were a total disaster fire for like you know, in terms of I like, feel personally uh, and I okay. don't know why the transition between the late nineties and the early two thousands was just the worst, (laughs) like music, the worst fashion in my sort of participatory lifetime so far. Yeah, that's, I agree. That doesn't really match up with my age necessarily. I was of an age. I just like felt objectively that it was just a a lull. It's weird to, to real, to look at this 99 stuff and it feels like 
it's from an alien planet in a way that I was not prepared for just in terms of like, in terms of like how you were there, how do how doofy everyone looks, how bad everyone's sunglasses are. Now, are you going to attach a picture of you with your skillet hair to this episode? I could do that. That's not technically 99 though. I was like 2001. Um, oh, I know, but like it's it's out there. I think it fits. I could probably, and then I, Facebook would have it. I don't know. No, let me just say though, real quick. Uh-huh. I don't think there was anything wrong with your skillet oh, look. I don't, like, you were just I don't being there. I, I feel strongly that people shouldn't uh, shouldn't think upon phases of their life as phases, but as cumulative experiences. <laughs> I, I think I've even said that on this show. If not, I should rant about that sometime. You just did. Yeah, it's canon. Sweet. Uh, but no, the, what I was saying is like the, 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 what feels like crazy randomness, uh, then sort of self-corrected dramatically. And, and now I'm realizing in 2018, I'm realizing why people were so excited about like the strokes and the white stripes and stuff. Cause that stuff happened like four years after this literal dumpster fire, like Mm, Woodstock 99 literally caught on fire at the very end. Uh, (laughs) You should read about that sometime. Uh, It's crazy. But like, yeah, we, we corrected back into like the garage rock stuff as a, like a pop culture. And then also like went way deeper into like rap and R and B as being a thing because like this had like Woodstock had like two token rappers at it. Like ice T was there and DMX, I think. And that was it or something. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, it didn't feel different because we were of an age that we were just sort of riding along with how things change. And now you look at it and you compare 1994 to 1999 to 2004. And it's crazy to see how much it changed. So I don't know. Yeah, no, I I think that, yes, it's like equivocation in in a timeline, is that you have to believe, or I think it's true and positive to believe in the advancement of things, not just like a recurrence of older things. Like, so if I can involve some science, (laughs) uh, we had similar processes where people would discover new things, but it was always that, you know, we thought, you know, things were at a low level. Well, you know, the biggest thing that we have is the country and then the, this dome and the, the flat earth and then the round earth and then the solar system. We, we literally didn't know that there were other galaxies for a while and then oh, you mean that, like for the vast majority of human existence. Yeah, okay, yeah. for a while, yeah. So like but every time we discovered something new, it was like, okay, so there's this giant universe and so many stars. And they're like, "Hey, yo, some of those stars are not stars. They're like another universe." And they're like, "Okay, so we can't call it a universe, we'll call it galaxies." So what I'm saying is that the process did repeat, which is that we're like, hey, things are like this. And then we're like, no, they're way bigger than that. And they're like, oh, cool. So they're like this. And we went through this. But it's silly to say that pre, uh, like, pre-Socratic philosophers had nothing that we don't have today. Like, they did the same things, but now we have so much more to go off of that it's like it's good it's progressive and uh like yeah it's not just the old guy complaining about uh how bell bottoms are gonna come back um so you know in in the way i generally try to go is i think that it's a it's a very positive it's like the stock market you know, it goes up every, at least every 10 years, right? <laughs> the music gets less bad every 10 years. That, yeah, sure. <laughs> no, I mean, I think that, like, uh, I think about the there is nothing new under the sun idea, which I don't. I, there was definitely a point in my life where I took that as a, like, a comfort, right? Like, it's like, oh, there, you know, the, the and there is a sort of. You don't have to feel alone. Right, People there, have been through what you've been through. Right. There's a, there's a sort of like, if you're using that as a, as a comfort for your trouble or your, um, you know, your interpersonal struggle, I think that is a great use of that, um, particular concept. But if you're using it as a way to sort of, um, dismiss 
progress or new phases in culture, I feel like then that's not maybe maybe not the int- I mean maybe not the intended use or maybe not a a it might not be the most uh personally edifying use of that concept. We're like, yeah, it's like uh the the um the the bell bottoms are back or or like uh white stripes are ripping off zeppelin or whatever. But it's like there we are we are iterating or people new people are being created and getting older every day and like reprocessing old ideas that are now new to them and they're making new things and like there is a certain like like a uh, recurrence to culture because they aren't going to create something brand new out of nothing. Right. But there and is, I mean, there is going to be an overall progress. Yeah. I mean like overall progress. Like, so we got, let's just take, I, I like your white stripe example. So objectively we're far enough out from this that I'm not trapped in the decades. So we got white stripes list, like an older one, like the still, which yeah. Like death letter, like yeah. I got a letter right. this morning. What do you reckon it read? Or, or with arms wide open <laughs> under the sunlight. Well, that's moving. you tell me. Well, one of those is a is a old 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 blues song. Uh, one of Read them is again. one of them is a thing that Scott Staff wrote on his tour bus or whatever. So you know. <laughs> You know, um, I challenge Scott Stapp to cover Death Letter. Oh <laughs> you man, there, tell me if there's progress. Boy, there is some. Uh, there is some. Uh, I haven't. I haven't dug one up yet. But according to the Twitter thread I was reading, there there were there was a fair amount of like covers in Woodstock, like bands doing old Rolling Stone songs and stuff. I so know. I I think you might want to be careful what you ask for in that regard. <laughs> I don't want to hear it. I just it proves our point, okay? <laughs> I don't know. I'm going to I'm going to uh, if I I'm going to look now and if I can find Scott Stapp singing any old blues songs, I'm going to send them to you um over and over again all week long. We're done. 